I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. How are you? I'm good. I'm sad that we missed a week. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in there while we had to take a week hiatus. I needed to. Well, I didn't need to, but I went to uh, Temecula <laughs> to compete in a horse show and was just not able to to make it work with recording. So I appreciate um, you your patience. Um, I think that's I'm fine. Back. I think... I think it gave everybody more chance to read the book and or it watch is a the length, series. It is a lengthy book, and the series is a lengthy series. Yeah, so it's yeah. hopefully you all had time to read it because it was great. But I'm back and so very excited to finish <laughs> discussing the book. Um, before we do that, a uh, reminder, the next book we're going to be discussing is Reservation Blues by Sherman Alexie. And really excited to talk about this. I read it before, but a long time ago. Um, and I'm excited to kind of talk about the author as well and yeah. um, just some different themes. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, so hopefully we'll all go out and pick up a copy from your local bookstore. Um, so before also we get started, uh, what what have you concocted this evening? What is your <laughs> libation, Sadie? So today I'm having a beer. So over the weekend, I actually I got my second shot of the vaccine and I had congratulations. Tr- thank you. Thank you. I am feeling a little sick, so mm. I, maybe I shouldn't be drinking a beer, but <laughs> I'm feeling quite a bit better. You're so dedicated. Okay. You're dedicated to our podcast. Thank yes, you. I am. Um, but I had to travel a little bit. I had to go to Amherst to get mine, which is about an hour and 20 minutes from where I live. And we decided while we were out there, because I was getting it in the evening, we thought it would be fun to go check out like a brewery in that area. And so we went to a brewery called Fort Hill Brewery in East Hampton, Massachusetts, and we got Mm -hmm. their Ministry of Mischief, and it's an Orange Blossom Honey Pilsner. That sounds delicious. Really good. It's it's delicious, and it was a really nice atmosphere. It was really fun. Um, Like outdoors. Let me see the can. I'm a sucker for Um, um, labeling, and it's got it's pretty dark, and it has the what's his name. Oh, that. uh, V for Vendetta. V. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So that's that's cool. Yeah, I really like it. It's it's good, and I the orange comes through really nicely. It's it's pretty delicious. Nice. Yeah, I picked up uh, some different cans and bottles while I was in California and shipped those home on the trailer. (laughs) But I won't be able to pick those up till tomorrow, but decided while I was there and just at a grocery store, because you can just buy alcohol at a grocery store and a lot of other places, (laughs) um, decided to see what they had and grab some things to bring home. But um, so I kind of stuck with what I got last time and I'm having Jane Walker and ginger beer or ginger ale and it's really delicious. I didn't realize how much I liked the Jane Walker scotch whiskey so yeah i really want to try that now it's good it's good well next time you come to visit when if you come over to our house you can try it that way instead of buying a whole bottle since (laughs) we have a lot of scotch over here yes you do (laughs) i would love that all right um okay so 
I feel like we just have to start off with kind of the ending, the spoiler of it, because it was so hard to not talk about it last time. I don't know <laughs> if I can go any more time without talking about it. So, um, Sadie, do us the honors. What do we oh, kind geez. of, I mean, nothing's really super clear. You can, I guess you can guess you can kind of decide for yourself, but basically how, okay, I'll say how I interpreted it. Okay. And then you give me yours if it's not the same. Okay. So kind of, uh, that's the best way to go about, basically we can talk more about the plot stuff as we go, but you learn that Mary Watson, her friend that died from her abortion, mm-hmm. like I took it as her spirit, her ghost, mm-hmm. um, kind of like possessed, um, possessed Grace mm-hmm. and, or Mary Whitney, not, I don't know why I said Watson, <laughs> Mary Whitney, um, she kind of possessed Grace and it was her acting through Grace mm-hmm. when when the murders occurred. Um, and that's kind of how I... So I, I took this to be like a ghost story toward, okay. you know, like like kind of from that time period. Because the time period she's writing about, those kind of stories were mm-hmm. very like popular in, in spiritual, um, you know, seances. And like, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of added to it. it. Made me actually think, did you ever read Turn of the Screw? Yes. When you were younger? Yes. Like that kind of, you know, just that that kind of style that setting because I yeah. that was what was very popular in that time period um so that's that was my interpretation so it's not the Mary Whitney committed the murder through Grace Marks <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> yeah I mean it's not super clear so like it's funny because I go back and forth between what I really think but for me I interpreted it more as like a, a dissociative identity disorder okay and yeah. like we're she due to the trauma at each like big traumatic event which with her witnessing Mary Whitney's death and this like preconceived idea of like letting the spirit out or something I think that Mm -hmm. she protected herself with this new identity and sure and then I think the same thing happens actually with Nancy but Nancy can't talk Yeah, you know, I don't think that you're wrong either. I think that's what's great about this novel. Or you can, I think another interpretation is, you know, she's playing everybody in a sense. Like she, you know, this is just, she's making her own story and kind of leading people to maybe believe something like that. Um, But yeah, so she, that's kind of what comes out and, um, and then she eventually is, is released from prison Mm-hmm. And Mary's, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, Jamie. Jamie Walsh. Jamie, yeah, who was the young kind of like farmhand helper. Who, um, who like testified against her in court. Right, right. But had like professed his love for her basically before that. And then she, they end up marrying and she um, settles in like upstate New York or something. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do, I did want to bring up that I thought it was cool to see through the miniseries because she talks so much about quilting and, and so then she talks about the quilt she's makes and mm-hmm. and the different materials, you know, using a piece from her, I think it was like her shift that she wore in prison and a piece of um uh oh the petty of the Nancy's red, dress. Yeah, and the petticoat yeah. that uh Mary Whitney had given to her. Yeah, and I thought it was cool to see that visually on screen. Like, Me too. So I really liked that the miniseries did that. But just great description of it in the in the novel. I thought that was a really beautiful 
Um, like I really like the epitaphs towards the end. You know, there's one before each chapter, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the best parts of the book. Maybe we can talk about that later. But um, just it was such a nice, beautiful closure, even though it's still this kind of weird, morbid, <laughs> like main plot. I, I thought it ended really nicely. Yeah, I think she wrapped it up perfectly. Um, I love every I honestly I love everything about this book. We can talk about, you know, our biggest likes and dislikes at the end, I think. But I think she wrapped it up really nicely. I love the ambiguity of it because really every time I read it or watch the series, my opinion changes. Like in the series, I interpret it more as a ghost story. But when I read, I feel like it's a little bit more nefarious or like um, Mm -hmm. either she's making it up or it's like an identity She's got some like dissociative disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, the the whole thing about the seances and all that, that was obviously part of the time period. And I think that's that is part of the book. You know, um, Mary Whitney and Grace talk about, you know, ghosts and let my spirit out. Like so it runs through the book, but so does the the psychology I mean, yeah. you know, it's he's a psychologist, Simon, that's like Dr. Jordan. And it's it's you know, that's also prevalent throughout the, the book. And it kind of points to the interest in that kind of science and mm-hmm. like what people thought. And um, so I think, again, that just lends itself to you can read it both ways. Yeah. Well, and even if it is just like a psychological disorder, then you know I think you could still make an argument that it is also a ghost story still because in a way she's still kind of being haunted by these other women that are related to traumatic Mm -hmm. events in her life and like they stick with her they stay with her she can't even if it's not a literal haunting yeah she's yeah her trauma yeah Yeah, and I think I like that interpretation I it made me think that when you know with Dr. Jordan at the end so he ends up having to go off to war Mm -hmm. um and afterwards, he's uh, almost catatonic, you know, doesn't yeah. like, I don't know if catatonic is the right way to describe it, but he, he has, I don't know, what. how would you describe it? I mean, he's definitely like shocked. He, he clearly has like PTSD from it. Yes. But maybe that's a bit. Yeah. In the, in the series, he's. I would say catatonic is a perfect word for it. In the book, it's not super clear how much of that is true versus how much his mother is like. Yeah, that's the thing too. Because again, yeah, that's true. But this is who you're hearing it from. But I think either yeah. way, it's obvious that he he suffers some sort of trauma. Um, yeah, and has he reacts maybe mentally in a way that he never would have anticipated. And it, I thought it brought up this kind of this idea of now that he's actually experienced trauma he can maybe understand why you know grace is the way she is like yeah um, you know these things could have happened as a result of her trauma and you know because she gave him all these details of her life and it's a really traumatic life you know from from start to the time they met and and maybe realizing what that does to a person because those things were maybe disregarded because she was female Um, Yeah, and so now it's like you really see now it's hitting him he's now understanding what kind of toll that can take on a person and whether it's literal hauntings and literal ghosts or figurative but um yeah he kind of now has his own finally yeah well and he's clearly like haunted in his own way by her 
because like they talk about how mm-hmm. he'll just say her name like repetitively while he's right right while his mother is like waiting on him um but I also th- you know I think it's interesting too when you look at that in the lens of like what we remember and the memory and like the whole thing is that Mm -hmm. grace has memory lapses and he's trying to like figure out what happened and get her to remember and at the end he has memory lapses or at least his mother says he has memory lapses where he's forgotten everything and yeah I mean it's just kind of interesting to think about how his storyline and his arc kind of everything goes to shit as soon as grace kind of gets to that point in her story like his Mm -hmm. life kind of unravels as her story unravels and I don't know exactly what like that means because I don't think that they're very good character parallels but I think that like unraveling of her story and his life at the same time is really interesting yeah no I agree I think um I think it's hard to have a clear cut connection between the two but it's there and I think that's kind of part of the point too you know and Mm -hmm. he's kind of had this protected little life um before really um he's you know his mother obviously dotes on him and and he had access to wealth at a period you know he's just kind of maybe lived this more sheltered life at least sheltered in in his thinking and of his experiences of the awful things that people go through especially women and immigrants and yeah. Um, he's been sheltered from all that, even though he, I think, thinks he's very, you know, well-read yes. and educated and worldly. Um, he kind of has that very, you know, he, he's kind of condescending and, um, as we already talked about last podcast, pretty misogynistic. Yeah, um, like, in case but, anybody needs a reminder, we hate this character. <laughs> yeah, again, we do not like him. Ugh. Anyway, especially, like, the whole thing with his housekeeper, his, what would you call her? Not <clears throat> landlady, but... Like Kinda. just yeah, <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We, should, yeah we should talk about that yeah oh yeah let's get, anyway my point was just I think as he's getting closer to the messiness and and unraveling yeah. it it starts to affect him and he's not self-aware enough to realize that but like you know life happens and life catches up with you and I think he kind of was getting a little bit of his um his just desserts with all that like yeah you know he's falling apart he can't he can't handle this kind of life that she handles so coolly in a way, you know, right. like, well, it's kind of like comparing, you know, the types of horrors that two types of people can experience and hers is like very much wrapped in domestic life and like the everyday mm-hmm. kind of trauma and experience that builds up to something greater or bigger. And for him, I mean, he, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the issues that he has are self-inflicted until he goes to war but then you know war is commonly like that's the trauma that men are given you know that's mm-hmm. the responsibility that's put on their shoulders it historically and most of the time and um and that's valid like that's a, obviously super valid that he has a lot of trauma from that and from that reality but it's just a it's a difference from like having a traumatic event or period of your life versus having a traumatic life mm-hmm and that's something that yeah. he he doesn't understand. And it's just like the different kinds of traumas that we place on, you know, like genders historically. And um, this difference, you know, Grace doesn't know what it's like to be in a battlefield, but she has faced that kind of stress and worry and um, anxiety like throughout her life 
in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. I think it would be fun for us to talk about Jeremiah. Yes. <laughs> Jeremiah is a great character. I love him. I love um, him. Yeah. So, so it, important to bring up because we talked about him a little bit last, last podcast. Um, but he, you know, was the peddler also kind of, um, I kind of almost took him to be almost this kind of like gypsy character, like not yeah. magician, but like, you know, like a seer kind of a thing, like kind of a person, sorry. Um, so anyway, and he, he comes up again in the novel as, you know, Dr. Jerome De, remember, DuPont is what he was going by, I believe. Yeah. And he's like a, hip, a hypnotist, right? Like that's kind of what he, well, he says that he can do or, or talks says- to the dead or something. Like he he does it so it's like medically inclined. Like uh, he, there's a specific term that he uses for it that I can't remember off the top of my head. But oh, it's neurohypnotist. In, uh, yeah, neurohypnotist. So it like his goal yeah. is to set it in the basis of science and not like right spirituality. But it's very much like feeding into that whole thing of like seances and and uh, figuring mm-hmm. out what's underneath the surface or whatever. But I find it really interesting because if anything convinces me, like if I'm trying to make the argument that Grace is making this up or she makes up that part of the seance, um, Mm -hmm. it's the connection with Jeremiah there because previously in the book he like talks to her about it a lot of like we could go to the states and you could be my right assistant we could do all he's these kind things. of offered to be a way out like he's offered to be someone that can save her in that way yeah and then when she sees him at the governor's house and she you know she like screams and she faints and she drops her tray and then she realizes mm-hmm. You know, she's like, oh, he's, like, playing a trick on all these people. I'm going to, like, go along with it. Um, but then she says that like, there's this one point where she mentions that she remembers that he was into mesmerism and all of these things. And that made her, like, stop and think. And, like, and it she pre- she presents that as, like, a concern that he's going to hypnotize her. And she's, like, scared mm-hmm. about what's going to happen. But a part of me is also, like, oh, like, what if she's, like, mm, now I'm thinking, like, what can I do to take this event off my shoulders in a way yeah no I think that's a good point I think it's like her figuring out a way to take control of it herself I think Mm -hmm. is how I like reading it that way like that's kind of how I would interpret it like she's you know at least how she tells her story to Dr. Jordan you can tell she's she's a very astute and like thoughtful person and Mm -hmm. you know even if she's been in situations where she's powerless in a way because of her station, because of her sex, like she still knows, you know, she be, she learns and grows. She becomes less ignorant of things and less naive. And it seems to kind of just, you know, clock things away, like hold mm-hmm. it away for later. And, and she's had all this time she's been in prison, you know, and she has all this time to, to think obviously. And then she has this opportunity with Dr. Jordan to like, kind of almost put that into practice with like how she tells his her story and how she reads him and what she does as she's reading him you know like you see how how much control she's trying to take in her life and so I think you could almost look at it like that was her opportunity and yeah and she took it she knows that there's this group that want her released yeah you know and she knows what you know like who 
you know, Dr. Jordan, like what his point is. And she's obviously read him pretty well. And she knows Jeremiah. She's like established and, and has some knowledge. And so I think she just had all these great, oppor- like this great opportunity. And yeah. Well, and for it. So and I think who you blames that way too. You know, who blames oh. her for taking that? And it's it's just yeah. interesting because I think Margaret Atwood just puts so many hints at all of those possibilities throughout the mm-hmm. book. Like there's yeah. there's a case for every single thing. And which and and that's kind of intentional, right? Because we don't actually know what happened. We yeah. really don't know that many details about the actual case and and things were left ambiguous then. Like now, if something like that happened, right, we'd there you'd have to find all the ins and outs. You'd know everything. Yeah. You'd know what happened by who and what like, you know, for the most part, you you have the tools to kind of work through that. Yeah. And they didn't then. So things were left ambiguous. And so I think that the novel purposely highlights that, that we really don't know what happened. And there's lots of evidence to go all these different ways, all these different ideas. Like one chapter, I feel one way about it. And one chapter, I feel another. Yeah. But either way, it's, it's kind of like either direction you take it in a way I still like I'm still rooting for her like I still don't blame her you know like no she's a she's a hero figure for sure I think yeah. like I think I think Margaret Atwood does a really good job of making her um someone to root for at least mm-hmm. and e- like even if it's you know she did kill Nancy and she's just like mm-hmm. working through it like you can see reasons for why she would have been why she would have done that in a way because of the situation that she's being placed in. Um, especially when she's, you know, interacting with someone as volatile as, um, oh, the other guy. What's it? What was his name? Oh, um, uh, Thomas Kinnear. And Thomas is the, is the, like, the. Oh, or you're not talking about killed. the man she. Yeah, you're talking. Oh, you're talking about killer. James. Ja- about McDermott? Yes. Yeah. James. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought you meant, well, because he's very like volatile. Right. So like it makes sense that she would kind of do what she had to do in that situation to protect herself from him. Oh, for sure. Well, even when I thought you were talking about Kinnear, even in that situation, like he's, he's basically her master, you know, and, and his whims are changed frequently. And like, she's putting, you know, it's obvious that he probably would try and have a sexual relationship with her eventually and whether it was like by choice or not I think those overtones are in the novel you know as well as in the series like she kept she was just in dangerous situations like yeah and I think it makes a good point of the book really highlights that that like it's not like she goes from you know her her family situation's bad (laughs) even though she's got you know a friend in Mary Whitney it's not necessarily a great one either with like the son you know, yeah. that had impregnated Mary and then seemed like he would be interested in Grace. Like, she keeps going into these situations where she's constantly in danger. We talked about that last podcast and just how yeah. that, like, living that way, you know, that that's a trauma, just having to constantly live like that and never yeah. feel safe and, you know, so. Yeah, so, I, like, exactly, which is why, like, I love it. It's like you can choose whichever version yeah. of the story you want. It's still relatable and... um you can still be extremely empathetic to it. Um, Yeah. I I really love this book. I want to talk about Mary Whitney a little bit because I think that, you know, if if we look at it like she is a ghost and she's, like, taking over Grace's body, 
and putting Grace's body into certain situations, you know, like that brings up consent Mm -hmm. issues um, if she's like aware of it, you know, and then also, you know, like is is Mary in some ways like a villain of the story or is she or is she also empathetic? Because I feel empathy for Grace significantly. But with Mary Whitney, like especially just like the way she kind of talks during the hypnotizing section of it, the Pandora's box Mm -hmm. chapter. Um, I don't know. Like it seems like very purposeful and um, in her like seeking revenge through grace. And I find that interesting and and complex and like it's understandable, but it's just kind of interesting. Mary's character kind of changes from, when we know her as a person versus like when she's possessing grace. Yeah. I, I went off on like a weird tangent in my head thinking about Mary Whitney one day. And like my thought was, I feel like she kind of, she acted as like a, what's the word? Like stand in for, I think a lot of ideas. And I think that one of them was, you know, the political side of it. Like her, I think it was her boyfriend, right. That had been a rebel or her dad or something. Oh, in the rebellion um, of 1837, was it her dad or her, like a I boyfriend? I think it was her dad. I think it was her dad. That's right. And and he was killed and stuff mm-hmm. during the rebellion. And like how she talks about about what that meant and who and like that she's a rebel and you know and um and I think that it's almost like that idea of revenge. Like all these people that were you know tried to rebel against the ruling class and like got you know just everything that happened with that like. And then Mary Whitney's a servant, you know, they're all servants. Like they're mm-hmm. still, you know, they're not equal. They're kind of that, um, not the lower class, but like the, the minority and like the ones that are discriminated against. And so I think that mm-hmm. part of that revenge is like from that kind of, um, just those people, like she's a stand in for that because, you know, it's like anyone who's overpowered, it's like she wants to have revenge against them and I don't I didn't get that from Mary Whitney's character but because she's connected to the rebellion in that way it's almost like she's a representation of like people wanting revenge for that and like the violence that comes with it yeah I mean I think that there are like hints at her kind of like capacity for like rage or like jealousy like there's a moment when Mm -hmm. um Grace is like walking with her to the doctor where she's going to get her abortion. And there's like this moment where she looks at Grace and is kind of like, I will. She, she says something about the possibility of her being dead tomorrow, but Grace still right. being perfectly fine and alive. And there's like yeah. a hint of kind of like jealousy or disdain with the way that she says yeah, it. Yeah, or and almost like resentment. Like. Yeah. Like a resentment, like you, I'm in this position and you're not like, yeah, like she knows her life is over basically. And then here's someone who still has maybe a shot or who's at least still alive. And so there's almost, yeah, it kind of gives this resentment tone, which is, yeah, which is, like makes um, me like, I think it it's at least a, a small hint to like what she decides to do once she inhabits like Grace's mm-hmm. body. And then I think like. When Mary Whitney is speaking through Grace, um, and she says that, you know, like it was just cold. She just wanted a place to go because she was stuck in that room. And so she went into Grace, and that's how it kind of started. And then 
You know, she said, I only used her body for like a short amount of time, you know, like I only used it here and there. And, um, but there is kind of like a, a glee and like a cunning to. Yeah. It definitely comes off as villainous. There's a, there's a, I think it adds that level of, which I think is really cool on like the ghost story side of it. Like I like that there's kind of this, um, you know, like nefariousness. Mm-hmm. Um, like if it didn't come through because up until now, you know, it's all about this murder, but Grace doesn't come across as like a nefarious character. So it's like, okay, like she was either framed because look how like non-threatening she seems. Right. And so I think it's interesting to have, you know, the ghost element of it be this kind of nefarious, like villainous, um, vengeful presence. Yeah. And like, she's so happy that like... Um, a man suffered for it for once, you know? She was, mm-hmm. like, because she talks about killing Nancy. Oh, I love the line of it. I'm going to find it because I love how it's described. Oh, yes. What page is that on? Um, She starts talking a lot about it on, like, 400, like, around there. Um, oh, yep. On 401, though, it's really interesting because she talks about how she did it, and she describes it in an interesting way. She says, the kerchief killed her, hands held it. She had to die. The wages of sin is death, and this time the gentleman died as well for once, share and share and like, share and share alike. Um, and at this point, they don't know quite that it's uh, Mary Whitney. They haven't guessed yet. They think mm-hmm. it's still Grace. Um, but I think that's, like, a really interesting description of, like, the wages of sin is death. It's kind of a, I mean, if we're to believe that this is like Mary Whitney, you know, then mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. That's like very sad. That's that's sad because she's speaking about herself in a lot of yes. ways, and it's heartbreaking <laughs> to think that she's kind of so on that track of like that it's deserved in a way. Because does she think that she deserved it? Like it's just really sad. It is. It is sad. It's. It's. Um. It's really dark in that way. You know, and that idea of identity and like, anyway, because the whole time we're questioning too, like, who is Grace and who is she really? And so then, it it is interesting when you think of it as like, I don't know, just in thinking of that way, like a just the whole idea of identity all through, and I think that adds to it. Yeah, I also, I mean, if I think this is really interesting. Um, when she says, she's it's a little, it's on the next page, but she's talking about Nancy, and she says, "Not Nancy, you stupid fool," because they think, "Oh, maybe oh. it's maybe it's Nancy who's taken over." And about her pretty body. her pretty little neck. Yeah, she says, Nancy can't say anything. She can't say a word, not with her neck like that. Such a pretty neck once, but Nancy isn't angry anymore. She doesn't mind. Nancy is my friend. She understands now. She wants to share things. (sighs) Like, it just brings so many (laughs) questions. Like, what does she want to share with you? And, you know, I mean, if this is a ghost story, then I think one can assume that Grace is being possessed by both of them. And like 
what is Nancy doing? What does she want? What is she sharing? And then the idea that they're friends at that point, that they like understand each other and um, are kind of just dealing with things in the same way while they're inhabiting grace. It's just really, it's really interesting and yeah, complex. I think it's. A, I want to know I, what Nancy's thinking. I, there. I, I do too. I t- but I took it as like a representation, like of you know how historically all the trauma that's happened to women, and you know everything that happened to women, and how that all adds up on itself. You know, and it's almost like mm-hmm. they're they're both representations of that, and yeah. and then they're inhabiting Grace, and they're possessing her, and it's like they're speaking for all of that. It's like yeah, we're friends now. Like we're not enemies. Like now we're on the same side almost kind of like yeah. we're we're working together to get revenge basically. <laughs> Revengeful ghosts, but yeah, it's just really fun. I love the idea. I love the idea of both of them just in there together and um I mean, if we're going to like if it's a ghost story, then also like the idea that what happened to you when you died like is how you are as a ghost like that's interesting if she can't talk because she died because of a kerchief around her neck you know because she was strangled yeah like, that's just a fun image i don't know do you believe in ghosts how, or you told me that you think your place is haunted haven't we talked about this before i mean i joke that my place is haunted but i don't know if i really believe in ghosts the thing is is um i don't i don't know i don't think i believe in ghosts but I have, like, I don't know, it's the typical thing where you have friends who, like, say they've had experiences and, like, I believe them to be uh-huh. reasonable people. So I'm like, okay, like, I think you're right. you're not wrong. Well, your family's sure told a couple, something. like, ghost stories. Hasn't, like, oh, we have hasn't Megan or so, like, a lot And, of like, you're stories. all very yeah. sane, reasonable, logical people. So, yeah, like, I, I, don't, I don't believe in ghosts in the way that, like, we're talking about them right now. I believe in, you know like energy you know like yeah. that different things can probably affect energy in ways that we don't understand but we feel it you know yeah and so maybe more in those kind of things than I do in like ghosts like we're talking about but I believe in aliens and a lot of people don't so <laughs> yeah you know I mean, I'm sure that it's it's one of those things where I think it would be the kind of like arrogant of me to say that I have an answer either way like, I think that it would be arrogant to say that because I can't see something, like, that it doesn't exist. I think that's arrogance. And I think it's also a little arrogant to be like, well, I had one weird experience and now I know everything to be true. So, like, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> just, just be good with not knowing. Like, this is what I think, but I'm not, I'm open to other possibilities. That's yeah, probably a good yeah. way to be I don't it. think I believe it. it again like in this way but it is kind of funny because my family does have quite a few ghost stories and like it's like firsthand ghost stories um and I have a sister who goes to a medium has gone to a medium and she like believes that and like unequivocally she's like certain about it and that stuff I'm like very 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 skeptical about um yeah I I don't but, have too much I mean, open possibilities in my mind for that one but yeah I, yeah you know, I think it's for, helpful I think for me like when it comes to the occult in any kind of way like I think if it's being if it's helpful 
then I don't really like care if it's real or not. Like if it's helpful for the person, if going to a yeah. medium is helpful for them and like to get closure, like to do whatever they need to do. No one's getting hurt. Yeah. Then like, okay, like, great. That's fantastic. I'm glad that that like was helpful for you. Um, I think that, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about anything. I'm like, as long as it's not like hurting you or taking advantage of you in any way, if it's like genuinely helping you, then I don't really, I don't think it matters if it's real. We, we had a psychic, a pet psychic come to our horse barn one time. What? And I don't believe <laughs> Are like there pet psychics? any of it. You, you've never heard of pet psychics? No. There's like, a, there's probably like 10 TV shows on like TLC or uh, some channel like that that are all oh about pets. God. I bet you, I bet you, okay, hold on. I'm going to Google this in a second because I bet you there is more than one pet show about like pet psychics out there. Oh my God. You seriously have never heard of pet psychics? No. Okay, so we had one come to our barn and she like gave readings and um, I don't believe any of it, but it was like kind of fun to be like, okay, yeah. this is what they're thinking and like, you know, I believe it's more about like reading people and she probably just knows things to say or whatever. But it was like, it was, it was we got a kick out of it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a funny story and that's kind of more what it was. No one like took action based on anything she said. Um, yeah. But I, okay, there are multiple pet. Oh there's, my God. Okay, there's the pet psychic. There's been three seasons of the pet psychic. What does a pet psychic tell you? Like what your horse even what is your feeling? Pet, like yeah, yeah. She talked about like, uh, like I didn't have a horse there at this time, but it was like one of them was like uh, he doesn't like he doesn't like when you brush him, which if you you can just tell some horses don't like it. So I'm sure she just figured it, it out in some way, but um, you know, and things like. He has a memory of, like, something big, blue, and scary. Like, she would just say these kind of, like, random things, and it's, like, you know, people just, you find ways to think it's real, and or you just have fun with it, and mm -hmm. it was just funny. She wasn't, she wasn't that great, but <laughs> it entertained us all. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's fun. Like, I went to New Orleans for Halloween a couple years ago, and we went, um, oh, my God, I cannot remember the name of, like, this area, but it's, like, by the French Quarter, it's outside of the cathedral, and it's very much known for having, like, psychics and, uh, like, witches there and, like, voodoo people there to, like, read your cards or bones or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, Halloween, and it was, like, are you kidding me? Am I, am I going to pay $50 to get a psychic to read my cards, my hands, and my bones? Like, yes, I am. It's Halloween. <laughs> and it was great. Like, it was fun. She was very nice. Um, there were some fun things that she came out with she guessed how many siblings I had which hmm. I thought and she was correct and she guessed the number of boys and she guessed the number of girls okay so it wasn't just like total of six but no she was what like the split was you have three brothers and two sisters and I thought that was really interesting and she knew I was the youngest and I mean like I think I think that she probably could have gotten that off of me. Frankly, I was like a few drinks in. She, maybe she asked me sure. some questions mm -hmm. before. She knew mm -hmm. I was there with my brother. like, Or maybe I said like one of my brothers or something and she just like took a guess. But like it's just fun. It's just fun. And like honestly, I think like any experience that makes you like ask questions or like look internally about like where you're at and where you're going. Like I think that's a pretty good thing. 
That's deep, Sadie. That's pretty good. I think you're right. I think that's the best way to look at it. I think, yeah. I mean, just don't... Bravo. People just shouldn't take it too seriously in a way. But, like, should look at... If you're going to do it, like, look at the benefits for it, I guess, of, like, introspection and, like, thinking about why did I interpret this a certain way or something Mm. when they said this. And, like, I think there's still stuff to be learned. But as far as back to our original question, if I believe in ghosts in the way that Mary Whitney and Nancy are. <laughs> yes, that's quite a tangent we went off on. <laughs> but that, but you made a really good point. I, I think that's a perfect way to look at it. If it leads you to introspection, that's only a good thing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, this that idea here is really interesting as far as like introspection and what we're aware of, I think is an interesting question in this book because my biggest question is if we look at it like that, whether it's a disassociative identity disorder or if it's a ghost story, you know, how mm-hmm. much is Grace aware of that she's not yeah. telling us? Because right, because it's like we talked about last time. There's so much question of what's true, what's not true, and depending on who's telling the story, and it's right in line with that. Yeah, and I think for the most part, like, Grace it seems pretty coy about the fact mm-hmm. that she may be possessed by these two women. Um, there are hints, I think, when she says something maybe off color and she says that's what Mary Whitney would have said. I think it brings right. back the question of like, okay, well, did you just hear Mary Whitney say that in your head and you said it? Or right. Right. Um, or things like when uh, Dr. Jordan says a few times that like when he looks at her, sometimes he gets just like flashes of another person, like another person mm-hmm. sitting in front of him all of a sudden, and then it's gone. And I think, you know, that's probably exactly what we're talking about. It's probably Mary Whitney or Nancy kind of taking the front seat, if you, you yeah. could say. Um, but, you know, I, I really, like, I think it is still a question of how much she's aware of it up until the end where she says, if I wanted to talk to ghosts, like, I can very well do that on my own. And right. I think that like self-awareness and when she makes the quilt mm-hmm. with their but pieces know, yeah. in it, she knows that they're there. Yeah. And I think she and knows think, that she did what she did through them. Yeah. Which, okay, I've we've been wanting to talk about this too. I think that is a good segue into discussing the sexual tension yeah. in the novel. And like, I think adding that to it makes it an even more interesting uh, element to the novel because it's like, Who's the tension with? Yeah, right. You know, is it, or is it more than one? Or yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's it's. I think that is interesting. Ugh, I can't stand Doctor Jordan. It's I can't gross. stand him either. It's really <laughs> like I don't think Grace has any chemistry with him, but I I think the idea of like Mary kind of being behind it all, I can see where it comes from. But or even same, Nancy. Or even Nancy. But I think also like. I think Dr. Jordan kind of has those feelings because she seems so kind of innocent and like unaffected in a way that like I think he kind of has an urge to I don't know like participate with that or like Mm -hmm. to take it from her in a way Um, because Grace herself like is very virginal. But it's her experiences that, like, aren't and give her that kind of insight. And even though she's, you know, she's been sexually assaulted, but she's, like, very proper. She won't talk about things with him. Like, he asks her when she talks about how 
she like at one moment she's on the carriage with um james mcdermott and the next she's like in the grass on the side of the road Mm -hmm. and his hands are all over her and she doesn't know what's Mm -hmm. going on and he's just like did he put his hands in your clothes like did he touch you like he's being like really aggressive with his questions yeah and she just won't answer them and gets really upset with him for a good reason and I don't know like he just I think he has like a fascination with the fact that she kind of like occupies both spaces and maybe that's one of the reasons why he wants her because she's both this like genteel like idyllic she could fit into any yeah. kind of space and he, but he discusses so her her manners quite frequently I mean there's a lot mm-hmm. of mention of like how she carries herself and her manners I mean and even you know Thomas Kinnear makes comments about that mm-hmm. to Nancy about her about how if you you know, dressed her a certain way and told her not to talk, you know, you'd think she was basically at my levels, how he's talking Mm -hmm. about it. And so I think there's a lot of point to how he sees her in that way, that she's kind of this innocence in a way, or genteel at least. And yeah, it's a good point. But then like, yeah, but he, I think he likes the idea that she's like her dangerous the, side yeah He's, like there's think, this yeah. part where he fantasizes about her and he keeps saying murderess murderess he whispers to her, her himself it has an allure a scent almost hot house gardenias lurid but also furtive he imagines himself breathing it as he draws grace towards him pressing his mouth against her murderess it applies it he applies it to her throat like a brand like <sighs> yeah he finds her he finds her the idea of her being a murderer like sexy it's like this turn on and it's dangerous like ooh, exciting I don't know it's interesting yeah well and it's weird never see that well and it's like he's just full of contradictions because he likes that with her I think because of her gentility and like just the the way she behaves around him most of the time but like I don't think he would like that with just anyone. Like you see that with his interactions with his like hostess. Yeah. His land, his landlady or whatever. Yeah. I mean, she basically tells him like, my husband's going to leave me like, because we've been having sex. Like he's going to know like, what if he just has an accident? What if he comes back and he just has an accident? We could bury him out back. Right. And it like disgusts him. Like Dr. Jordan's just, disgusted yeah like she's offering him the exact same thing that some people think grace Mm -hmm. did to james right but like he's disgusted by it even though he's a major participant in every aspect of their relationship and he just acts like he acts like she's yeah he has no control no control even though yeah even though like (laughs) she comes into his bed every night and he rolls with it you know and like it's just interesting like why does he want that for with grace like why does that you know make him all hot and bothered with grace but he's almost given the exact same opportunity and he's like "Mm." no I don't know I think part of it maybe is just like the fact that she's unattainable like he can't touch her and yeah and she's very mysterious Mm -hmm. but I think she's very challenging to him like yeah yeah but it is, I mean, it's like a pretty hot book. Like it's, there's a lot of tension yeah. going on. Yeah. So see if you guys haven't read it. I mean, read it for the <laughs> the smutty parts, I guess. I mean, it's not even like smutty. It's Victorian it's just, smutty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it's not even it's victorian novel smutty yeah it's like although i don't know i mean it's the hand without the glove and like age of innocence smutty you know what's the time period of lady chatterley's lover when was that written oh like that's like bella pook like that's like 1890s it's like 70s 90s right yeah okay i think i think what am i thinking of Anyway, there's yeah. been some smutty old novels in their day, but yeah, yeah. This this one's like Victorian smutty kind of. There's parts to it at least. It's the it's like the Pride and Prejudice like fist clenching that he does right, after he right. like hands her into the carriage, that kind of thing. I right. mean, he does have some pretty big sex dreams that turn out to just be his landlady. Um, but came out in 1928. Oh, really? It's that late? I was way off. Yeah, 1928 oh, was when it was public, published. I 100% thought that was 19th century. Not, yeah. That's crazy. Maybe we should add that to the list. <laughs> Obviously, we need to reread it. Obviously. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if I could get through a whole podcast about Lady Chatterley's lover, but I don't know. Maybe. maybe. We have more libations. <laughs> maybe in person with a lot of libations. <laughs> yeah maybe oh, we could okay. do it um i'm blushing i am too it's getting hot in here <laughs> no i mean i love the idea though that like mary is still kind of like being her flirtatious self mm-hmm. through grace mm-hmm. and is kind of like acting whether you believe it as a ghost or whether you believe as this is just like a layer to grace's identity um of like another version of her that could have been right and I think yeah well or or Nancy too I mean she yeah. was a kind of a seduct she had kind of a seductive quality to her and like you know was kind of more forward with her sexuality like mm-hmm. as a way to survive basically but um so it could be her too I mean that same kind of you know or again the different aspect of Grace's personality but I think you can also attribute some of that maybe to, to Nancy too for sure um I think one of the last things I want to talk about um, is is after um, everything happens and, you know, flash forward like 30 years and uh, Grace is taken to New York and she finds out that like Jamie Walsh like was there to take her and like offers his hand in marriage and says he'll take care of her forever And she gets this great, like, farmhouse. It's, like, everything Mm -hmm. that she kind of, like, wanted. She gets to be the lady of the house. She gets to to have these things, do things on her schedule or whatever. And she's in a safer space. Yeah. 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 Um, What do you think about Jamie Walsh and, like, their relationship and just kind of, like, what happens with Grace at the end? That's a great, that's a great topic to bring up. Yeah, I think it's interesting this this character like he's not that big of a presence but he he serves such a big role mm-hmm. um as you know especially with the ending and I think that it's I think I mean he kind of explains because doesn't she ask him why at one point or she kind of like wants to know kind of some of his motivation and you can tell like he well. he's got a guilt he like, like apologizes to her profusely yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. But then she talks about how like his guilt leads him to ask her P 
periodically like really kind of harrowing questions about what happened to her like he just Mm -hmm. wants to kind of like repetitively be told how his actions like led to her trauma afterwards he's he's doing this like their relationship is almost like self-flagellation for him yeah like but also for her like it that's mm, like one mm -hmm. thing that it's another (sighs) kind of penance it's like another kind of prison well it's like forcing her to consistently like revisit this trauma and it's weird because it's almost like i think she says that sometimes it leads to like sex like that he'll he'll have her tell her tell him everything that happened to her and then like I'm pretty sure she insinuates that eventually no she does that it's almost like this build up and like and then he yeah they pretty much I don't know how I'm trying to remember what page it is that she describes um, it but yeah it's basically like every time yeah then this is like th- this is what it culminates in like that all leads up to this every time yeah, it's 4.57, and she says, like, I myself would as soon forget about that portion of my life rather than dwelling on it in such a mournful way. Um, but then, you know, it's interesting because the, the last bit of the book, it's her writing a letter to Dr. Jordan, you mm-hmm. know, that maybe she sends, maybe she doesn't, but it's that's who she's referencing and speaking to. And she right. says, now that I come to think of it, You were as eager as Mr. Walsh is to hear about my sufferings and my hardships in life. And not only that, but you would write them down as well. I can tell when your interest was lacking as your gaze would wander, but it gave me joy every time I managed to come up with something that would interest you. (sighs) Like, I just, I don't know. It's it's interesting because it's, I mean, it's kind of like trauma porn, right? Like, it's almost like... They're just, for Jamie, maybe it's, like, built out of guilt or whatever, but, like, the fact that it leads up to, like, sex or, like, the, the underlying question And it's still it a power thing. Yeah. It's, there's, it's, it's still, it's a different, you know, Jamie comes across as, you know, I mean, he's trying to give her a good life and caretaking for her and expressing love, so it's, like, not a violent kind mm-hmm. of control or power, but, like still is in its own way kind of emotionally yeah it's like impossible for her to escape it and then he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to escape it and it's you know why doesn't he want to escape that part of her life you know is is it a question like i don't know does he want to just like feel bad and guilty all the time or does he like like hearing about the stuff that happened to her or does he well, and I, I kind of took it that way. Like, he likes the idea of being a savior yeah. to someone, you know, and um, and having her kind of relive it and, you know, him kind of basing the relationship off of it. Like, like she's, she's always rescuer. in that position to him. He's her rescuer. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a way to build him up a little bit, like, that idea of it. Yeah. That's kind of how I took it. But, yeah, I think you can interpret it a lot of ways. I also think that... I mean, I just love this last chapter, like the tree of paradise where she's talking about her new life and just kind of like reflecting on anything, you know, later in life. And um, when she's talking about how like after she'll tell him all this stuff and he begins to unbutton her nightgown and he says, will you ever forgive me? 
And she says, at first this annoyed me very much, although I did not say so. The truth is that very few understand the truth about forgiveness. It is not the culprits who need to be forgiven. Rather, it is the victims, because they are the ones who caused all the trouble. If they were only less weak and careless and more foresightful, and if they would keep from blundering into difficulties, think of all the sorrow in the world that would be spared. I had a rage in my heart for many years against Mary Whitney and especially against Nancy Montgomery, against the two of them both, for letting themselves be done to death in the way that they did and for not leaving and for leaving me behind with the weight of all of it. For a time I could not find it in me to pardon them. Like that part just ugh. like I just I, that part's hard to read cuz like yeah. I don't think it's right, but I understand kind of like her perspective on that and maybe her anger about it, especially if we take it in the fact that like maybe they're inhabiting her and have mm-hmm. like been participants in the situations that have put her in these places to begin with. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, it is hard. And I think she's an interest, such an interesting character with like the level of control she kind of displays and like that idea of what she's in control of and what she isn't. And um, so I think that passage is evocative of that you know like I don't know just how she handles that sort of thing and like how she takes control in her life in all these situations yeah I think it's also I mean the idea of like the victims needing to be forgiven more than like the perpetrators like that just sits so wrong with me and I think like that's purposeful like I feel like this whole book has been building it up up to the idea that like we need to hold like these perpetrators accountable like look at all mm-hmm. the horror all these women have gone through and mm-hmm. um and then at the end like we see the person who went through the horrors like blame the victim and like I yeah. think like that's supposed to unsettle us and like feel wrong in a lot of ways of like what but it's also I mean it's understandable that she would have anger but like I don't know, like, it's so unsettling to, like, feel like at the end, that's what she thinks, you know? Well, and I think, I think even though we don't really find it interesting, I think our, at our basic level, we look at, we want there to be a good guy and a bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And it's far more interesting when there's not such clear cut, um, uh, like, types yeah. But I think that our mind likes to gravitate towards that. And so it can be unsettling to have something that's more duplicitous, you know, and mm-hmm. have it be more in that gray area. Like, not to this, I don't think it's at this level, but, you know, I think there, you can think of some characters that are not good people. But then you kind of, re- like, uh, like, did you ever watch The Sopranos? Uh, no, but I'm, like, aware of the stories. And okay, great. I love The Sopranos. That is such a great series. Like... I, need I to love it. I know. I need to watch it. I've been sitting on it for a long time, but I need to do it. I, I love it. Maybe, okay, let's do a rewatch of Sopranos <laughs> and we can just, we won't do a podcast about it. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> but on our own, we're going to do this because I love Sopranos. And it just makes me like the mob boss, like the main character, Tony Soprano, is yeah. not a good person. He yeah. is not. Like, but you find yourself rooting in some ways for him, you know, and like, this is an, an interesting to think of that. It's like, why on earth am I doing that? Like, yeah. And not so I don't think it's to the same extreme. Like she's not a mob boss. She's no, not a, you know, but um, but that same kind of idea of I think you're right. It's it can be a little unsettling to yeah. think to see how these this like affects you. Well, and like I think like a very real 
thing too of like victims often blaming victims or themselves Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like I think that's a difficult mentality and how we perpetrate that in society yeah like it's a difficult mentality to get past and like at this point even though Grace has been through everything she's been through she's still like a woman existing in like this period of society that she's living in where the natural I think response it would be to blame in part like the woman in that situation like Barry Whitney got herself into that situation where mm-hmm. or Nancy mm-hmm. did. She did it all by herself. Yeah. He tripped. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like I think like I don't know. I mean, I think that's like a real realistic kind of sensibility that Grace may mm-hmm. have had at that point. Especially because yep. like she does face repercussions for it and mm-hmm. I mean, I think she's referencing what happened in Mary's life versus like when she possesses her, but I don't right, know. Yeah. It's really interesting, and I love um, when she talks about the quilt. It's just so good um, when she's talking about like the tree of life and the tree mm. of paradise, and she's talking about the pattern of the quilt and how it is the tree of paradise. And she says that it says that the Bible says that there are two different trees: the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. But I believe there was only the one and that the fruit of life and the fruit of good and evil were the same. And if you ate of it, you would die. But if you didn't eat of it, you would die also. Although, if you did eat of it, you would be less bone ignorant by the time you got around to your death. And I, like, that part just hits me so hard. Like, I have a tattoo on my body that says, the end of man is to know. And that part just hits me it's like okay is it going to be the knowledge that I do know that kills me or is it going to be the knowledge I don't know that kills me and there's no answer you just have to know you have to figure it out you have to like partake of the tree of life or the tree of knowledge and Mm -hmm. um I love that idea and like that sentiment of like you have no idea what it is in your life that's going to be kind of like your demise or is going to lead Mm. to certain events but like you have to you have to still participate and like I just love her, that idea of it with her and like and what the quilt means to her because of that and then you know obviously at the end when she sews it and she makes her own kind of mark on the pattern and makes it different for her and her life and Oh, like it's such a good ending to a book. Yeah, it, that's what I said. It was beautiful. Like it's a beautiful I think a beautiful ending to like a really kind of dark and morbid and spooky story, which it's interesting that it ends that way. Like, I think it, it, it's, I think it veers in kind of the, not style, but like sentiment, Mm -hmm. like pretty Mm -hmm. sharply and drastically, but it just fits so perfectly. Like it's so, it's such a nice way to end the story. Yeah. And it makes something that like is, traumatic and horrible in origin like like why Mary and Nancy would be with her you know like Mm -hmm. that's horrible Mm -hmm. but at the end Mm -hmm. it's like I'm happy that they're together right like I'm happy that Mary and Nancy are part of her and that um you know that she gets at least like this bit of peace of like her own house and Mm -hmm. control kind of and and just the fact that they're still with her, like, like that feels 
good. Yeah, I think she gets she gets safety finally. Like she's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not perfection, but like there's a a level of safety there. It's like she made it to the other side, you know, and now she's safe. Yeah, and like they're part of the reason why she's safe. Like in a way, I feel Mm -hmm. like they have protected her. Like, yeah, you know, if if Mary was the one who took over when the traumatic events that happened and grace really doesn't remember it then she's safe she's yeah she safe was and yeah she was protected they protected her from it yeah, yeah. i love lovely. that and i you know the idea that too that like all of these women from these different experiences you know like they're in it together like they face the same things and like I don't know that the, just the There's idea strength that, in numbers. Yeah, strength in numbers, and like mm-hmm, after everything mm-hmm. that happened, that we can still kind of like get together and be together, and I don't know, like try to find something better. I think is like extremely meaningful. Yes, and very hopeful, which is a nice feeling. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what I don't know. Do we want to do like? favorite part or things we liked or things we didn't like um you know I don't really like have a big dislike with this book yeah like I, I know really, I can't. that's why I was like do we even bother doing that because I really didn't have anything I didn't like about it I um the, yeah there was nothing I didn't like about it I love her writing um like this is a five-star read for me I thought it was really great yeah. and super compelling it was great yeah it was really good I think we just keep getting better and better like we're picking <laughs> for some reason I don't know it seems like it's yeah they're really they've been they've been good i'm excited yeah um about our next book too because that'll be a big shift from this so um well good pick sadie thank Uh, you that was awesome and again if you guys haven't read it uh or haven't seen the series i suggest you do both if you can find the time because it was great um i also i'm reading another book right now that i um it's not something i would want to do on the podcast but it's called hidden valley road Mm -hmm. inside the mind of an american family um, it's nonfiction, and it's about this family. Um, there were 12 kids, 10 boys, 2 girls, and 6 of the boys all developed schizophrenia. Wow. And so this family really played a big part in the study of schizophrenia and like treatment and, and all of this. And so it's, it talks a little bit about that and the history of how the disease was treated, mm-hmm. but mostly it's about this family and the mom and dad and the kids and like all of their stories and from the beginning of when the husband and wife got you know were young and got married all the way to current times I haven't quite finished it yet but it's really interesting just I totally recommend it and it's a really like quick read um so yeah not something for the podcast but I recommend guys so um that's also a good one but don't read until after you've read (laughs) what we're asking you to read but if you have even more time to read I would throw that one on the list because it's really good. Nice. I've been doing like a deep dive into like adult fantasy and some of it's been hit. Some of it's been been misses. Um, yeah, I liked your I liked your texting about it the other day. Oh Sadie and I were texting when I was going to the airport about what she said. Don't judge me for what I'm also reading. It's yeah. Like very, very smut. Yeah. Very smart, basically. Yeah. So I've been working my way Fairies through. Fairies with, with wings. <laughs> I've been working my way through a Court of Thorns and Roses th- series. And I mean, it is basically fairy smut with the plot revolving around like classic like fairy tales, basically. So like the first book mm. is like Beauty and the Beast, but Fairyland. 
And then the second book is like a continuation of that story, but it's kind of more of like a retelling of Hades and Persephone. But it's not like the plot kind of sucks, but I like the characters. Like I think she does a good job of writing the characters at the very least. And um, I like the smut scenes. Like I think she's a good writer when it comes to smut. Like sometimes there's bad smut and there's like good Mm -hmm. smut. Like there's, I don't know. And I enjoy what she wrote. It's very good. Um, but I would not no recommend judgment. the series as a whole. Like, I think it's, like, a lot of pages to read for, like, subpar uh, fantasy. That being said, I did, like, barrel through, like, 1,600 pages in, like, four days. So. Yeah. No no, no judgment at all. Like, yeah, I remember when I first moved back here to Utah um, before <laughs> I started working again, I got into this series and I'm trying to remember now what it was called. I, I can't, but it was like she was a half human, half vampire hunter. Like, so she hunted vampires. Um, and, you know, and it was basically like kind of a, you know, so she, I don't know. I think that she was a half vampire and he was a full vampire. So then it was like a love story about them, too. But she's like this vampire. I don't know. It was just so weird. <laughs> But it was interesting and like in some ways, and then it was pretty smutty. But I just couldn't stop reading it. Wasn't that yeah, great? But like, I'm like, I kind of want to know what happens. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So no that's judgment. Like, that's exactly what it is. And you know, but I honestly, can't remember what it's called. It wasn't that great. Honestly, like I will judge a book for its plot, its writing, all those things. But ultimately, if it gets people to read, like over a thousand pages then I'm pretty much supportive of it like I'm like oh if people who normally aren't excited about reading are reading this thing and like they're excited about it then I consider that a success um other than that I just started another adult fantasy but it's like I I think it's just going to be a single book and it's okay because I'm seeing a trend here (laughs) yeah but this one's not smutty this one's at least so far um, this one's called The House in the Cerulean Sea, and it's it's very, it's quite cute, honestly. It's just, I think this it, description of it is perfect. It's like being wrapped up in a big gay blanket, and that is exactly <laughs> how it feels. <laughs> like, it's just so good. Um, it's about, it's like this fantasy world where there are magical children, and this caseworker, he's kind of like old, and he's very lonely and sad. For the most part, he gets assigned to this case to go see this orphanage for a month that houses the Antichrist and of like a bunch of other magical children that are isolated from society. They're not allowed to interact with the rest of society. And he's going to go see like how things are operating. And then I think he falls in love with the like caretaker of the orphanage and I haven't gotten to the love story part, but so far I think it's really great. And it's like a good, I think it's a really good question of like uh, who we choose, like our, who who we decide who like are redeemable for society and like how they interact with the rest of society. I think like it has a lot to say, but it's not smutty, but it is like a big gay blanket because it's just a wonderful love story. It's so great. I'm not that's okay that doesn't sound that enticing to me but how you've described it I can see that like how it could be enjoyable I don't really want to read it but that sounds you've made it sound (laughs) (laughs) I just don't feel like I'm gonna read that one I don't know I'm not big on love stories or like romantic movies yeah Mm -hmm. like I don't really like romance movies uh romantic comedies is there Uh, is there one that you do like 
I'd have to think really hard about that. Like, really? I just, I'm not really into romantic comedies or romantic movies. Like, I kind of like some of, like, the old ones, like, mm. um, like Audrey Hepburn movies, mm-hmm. like, but more for the, like, stylistic look of them yeah. than the actual story, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think that there's, like, some God-tier romantic comedies, but, like, they have to be written really well. So, like, I love Nora Ephron. Like, I love When Harry Met Sally. I think that is, like, a God-tier romantic I love how she... I love how her houses look in all of her movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Speaking of great I want style. that father of the bride house. Like, I want that house. Like, every single movie, the yeah. person's, like, house, especially the kitchen, I just... I want it. I want to like. I want that lifestyle. I understand. <laughs> so, I like that part of it, but yeah, it's again, it's like the look of it, not necessarily the story. Yeah, I think that's fair. It has to be done in a way that like works. But I think that <gasps> we should people, see if we can mm-hmm. find a good book that would be like more on the romance side, and see if we can find one that works. that would be that's good. Yeah, mm. we'd have. To, I'd have to research like maybe look into that because I can't I don't really know anything about I'd be down that romance great. novels oh I did Kay. have a friend who reached out to me that requested that we do oh something. we actually got we got, we a got communication from someone yeah. who got a request I'm so excited we got a request um Mason Archibald requested that we do something Oscar Wilde so he said he oh, doesn't care what that. we do but he wants us to do Oscar Wilde I think that is genius. Thank you. Um, Okay. Well, you're picking the next book after Reservation Blues. So Mm -hmm. it's your job to figure out which Oscar Wilde we're going to do. I think that's genius. Sounds good. See, see what good things come out of (laughs) communicating with us and suggesting (laughs) things. It's very helpful. Thank you. Speaking of, you can contact us by emailing us at Lit and Libation, or you can also DM us at Lit and Libation on Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Great, great segue. <laughs> thank you. That thank was you, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, so great ch- great job on the book. I thought this was awesome. So great pick. Um, love, we could keep going on and on about it, but I think it's time to move on. And mm-hmm. um, our next book, again, Reservation Blues by Sherman Alexie. So pick that up from your local bookstore. Get reading. Um, I think it's a pretty quick one. It's not as thick as, as this <laughs> book, so I think you can get through it a little quicker. Um, but w- that will be... Um, our next podcast is there anything else I'm missing I don't think so I think we covered it okay um and thanks again to Kendrick Zane uh he is doing the editing for us and our intro and outro music um he's going to be doing a I think it's a live stream on May 5th um so check out Kendrick Zane um on YouTube and then he'll be doing a concert in Salt Lake on July oh 13th that's awesome yeah, so um, concerts I'll are back. Those dates next time, but yeah, so go check him out if you haven't already. He's a great musician. Okay, um, that was my plug. <laughs> All right, I think that's it. So thanks everybody. Um, we will talk to you next time. Bye.